Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand. We would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here. It's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here. We've all got to give a little here. Big and small here. There's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here. We all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here. There is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here. Everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. Hi, everyone. My name is Nicole, and I'm one of the pastors here. My pronouns are she, her. Today, we're wrapping up a sermon series focused on the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The thread that we've woven throughout this series is that one way we know that we're living lives filled with the love of God, neighbor, and self is when we see the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Things like peace, patience, kindness, self-control, gentleness, and joy. Tonight I'm going to take a deep dive on gentleness and also a little bit of a look at joy. Now in our society, gentleness can sometimes be seen as a dirty word. In other translations of the Bible, gentleness is stated as meekness, which I think some people mistake for a word that it rhymes with, weakness. But it's not to be mistaken for weakness. For the purposes of this sermon, we're going to define gentleness as not forcing your way in the world, or gentleness as strength under control. Let's start off with some scripture. This is part of a letter from Paul to the Philippians from his prison cell. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and by petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to pick that piece of scripture apart a little bit throughout the sermon, but let's start with this line. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's something that I've honestly struggled with a little bit as a woman in the working world. I came to be a pastor at this church down a winding and unexpected path. I started off in the State Department's Office of Marine Conservation. I bet most of you didn't know the State Department had an Office of Marine Conservation but it's there when big fisheries get in arguments across country lines. I went on to work in several big political campaigns, uh, went to a top-tier graduate school, and then had a long career with a wonderful organization called the Nature Conservancy, which was an ambitious nonprofit that has a mission of conserving 10% of the Earth's ecosystems. And you know what all of those places had in common? a culture of cutthroat competition just to have a seat at the table. Gentleness was not sought after or rewarded. 
But I actually took the job at the Nature Conservancy thanks to a gentleman named Andrew. He was a board member for the Nature Conservancy and he lived in a beautiful house that sat on the shores of Mobile Bay. And while I was being recruited to move down to Mobile to open their Gulf Coast restoration program, he would mail me poems that he'd read about the waters that I'd be working to conserve. And in my final interview, I flew down and he took me out on this tiny boat back into the bays that I'd be working in and he recited more poetry. Not in a gross way. He was a true southern gentleman, but he got what he wanted with zero force. Just some poetry on a boat in a beautiful place. Sadly, he turned out not to be the norm at the Nature Conservancy. When I joined the team, I found that it was made up of a competitive group of extremely well-educated and almost exclusively male scientists. I was the only girl scientist on the team in my area. So I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to fit in and whether there was going to be space for me to operate on that team without forcing things. Because if gentleness were defining as not forcing things, what do you do when there's no space for you? You have to figure out the path of least resistance to get good work done. And here's what I observed on that team. It was a group of outdoorsy men who loved large equipment and any excuse for a controlled burn. They dropped a lot of F-bombs, and now that I was on the team or in the field with them, they felt the need to apologize profusely every time. They also called me ma'am a lot. So you can imagine six months later when I announced that I was pregnant, the white glove treatment increased exponentially. Suddenly I was helped out of trucks, like some sort of backwater Cinderella. I wasn't allowed to carry the heavy equipment. They forced snacks and drinks on me that their wives had packed when we were out in the field. And at first, it wasn't so bad. In the words of my not-at-all-raised-to-be-meek 17-year-old daughter, Mom, it's not what misogyny does to you. It's what misogyny can do for you. We're both kidding, of course. But I debated. I mean, it was kind of nice not carrying the heavy stuff. But at what point did I need to assert that me being pregnant didn't mean I couldn't get out of a car by myself? And I thought about what my granny used to tell me when I was little, and I would get a little too demanding. She would say, Nicole, you're going to catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. And at the time, I didn't really know what she was talking about because I didn't want to catch flies and I didn't really like honey or vinegar. But here's the thing. She was talking about gentleness. Gentleness is finding that path of least resistance to getting good work done. And vinegar in this situation would have looked like me going all Yankee feminist on the good old boys of South Alabama. So I stuck with honey for a bit. But as my belly got bigger, there seemed to be a presumption that my brain was getting proportionally smaller. And it began to bug me. They stopped making eye contact with me. They asked me a lot of questions about my pregnancy, but they didn't invite me out into the field because they assumed I'd be uncomfortable on a bouncy boat or mucking around a bog. So I drove up to Birmingham to ask my mentor, Jeff, what he thought I should do. He had a little boy who was a toddler. His wife was a lawyer. I know they'd been in similar situations. But his advice amounted to this. More cussing. He said, Nicole, you need to be seen as one of the guys. You need to swear more. And I know you can swear more because I've been in a bog with you in a water moccasin. It's not going to be a problem. And that made me really angry. 
I looked at him and I said, I have been the only girl in the classroom, in the room, in the bog, in the boardroom for years. And your advice to me now is that I need to be more one of the guys. And he began to backpedal a little bit because hell hath no fury like a pissed off pregnant woman. And he said, oh, Nicole, I just mean you could be stronger with them. You could be more forceful. And it turned out that more cussing was not a problem for me that day. I didn't want to have to force my way in. I wanted to find another way to create space for me as a working mother, as a female scientist, to contribute to good work getting done. But before I get on with what I did and where I landed in that team, let's linger in that place where I was on that ride home from Birmingham, that place of righteous anger. Anger doesn't feel very related to gentleness unless you can feel it rise and control it and turn it over and look at it from all angles to examine its roots in injustice. Then gentleness can be a wonderful teacher I'm sorry, then anger can be a wonderful teacher of gentleness, of how and where to use your strength with control. Let's go back to Paul's letter from the, to the Philippians. Where did he write that letter from? He wrote it from prison, in chains. He had every reason to be righteously angry. He was being held there by those who did not want him disrupting the balance of power with messages of radical generosity, inclusion, and ridiculous gentleness. And let me say this, there's nothing quite like a gentle Christian man tied up in chains to make me think of joy. No, really, let me explain. It does make me think of joy. Let's look at Paul's first line, rejoice. It's an odd choice. So let's talk about joy and what it is. Let's define joy as a choice to look for God at work in the world amidst its mess. Joy doesn't mean to be ceaselessly, causelessly happy all the time. We're not golden retrievers, people. Joy is the choice to look for God at work in the world amidst its mess. And joyful people, they see the world differently. Paul was a joyful human. Paul was imprisoned by a lunatic leader who will eventually kill Paul, and he says, Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What in God's name is Paul saying? Be weak in the face of a lunatic power? Concede your strength because your pregnant belly is getting bigger? No. Let's remember gentleness is strength under control. Paul is not saying where to be weak. Paul is saying you have the God-given strength of your faith within you. Can you control it for good, even in the most adverse situations? Let's go back to me driving home from Birmingham after cussing out my mentor. What did I do? Well, I didn't like his advice, so I went and got some different one. I went back to that gentle poet, Andrew, to get a different angle. And here's what he said. Nicole, they see you as their wife or daughter. They stop working when their first babies are born. So they're trying to make it easy for you. This is a motherhood path that they know, and they're trying to smooth it out for you. So don't waste time being angry with them. Just gently and steadfastly show them a different way. I know you can. I liked that advice a lot better. 
So I didn't take the more cussing path. I took the gentle and joyful one, one where I kept my strength under control and I got some good work done. But the thing I had to do first was show them that barefoot and pregnant could look different on me than it did on their daughters or wives. And it looked like this. It looked like me putting on my waiter boots and heading out to the oyster reefs. It looks like me traipsing out in my snake chaps into the bog. It looked like me jumping off the side of a boat to swim out and check on my seagrass beds until the week that Elle was born. And six weeks after giving birth, we were back at it. I strapped baby Elle on for staff meetings, and she went with me to conservation conferences all over the southeast with my dad in tow helping to take care of her. I took her into the field with me. I toted a breast pump all over the deep south, educating many a southern gentleman as to what it was and what it was for. That was not at all awkward and super fun. But sure, those good old boys on my team, they would ask me about motherhood every chance they got. And I would indulge them with a picture of growing baby L, and then I'd gently redirect the conversation to our mutually created conservation projects. And it started to work. They looked me in the eye again. They included me in the conservation project field trips and in the conversations. Sure. They still called me their tough cookie, and they really did call me their tough cookie, so I took it as a term of affection. And when I wasn't around, they called me a Yankee feminist. Mostly, they just worried how in the world I was getting dinner on the table for Jesse, which actually birthed the idea for our current company, so I can't really blame them. But my strength stayed firmly in my control, and they slowly transferred that white glove treatment, which Andrew had helped me to see as their gentleness, over to my magic baby girl. They monogrammed silver spoons and fancy pants for her. They bounced her on their camouflage knees. They told her stories of endangered turtles and migratory songbirds that her mom was helping to keep alive. And we got a lot of good work done with not an extra cuss word, except when there were snakes, because I said in my last sermon here, people are not all good or all bad, and I am not at all good or gentle when there are snakes. So I didn't take the more forceful path. I was just gently and joyfully transparent about what being a working mother could look like. And to end that anecdote and get back to Paul, my favorite legacy of Elle and I finding our space in that team is this. When Elle was in sixth grade, she was allowed to get her first Instagram account, and she was only allowed to let people follow her that she knew. And one of the gentlemen who was a major donor to my program in the Nature Conservancy was also my neighbor, and so he friended her, kind of like a pseudo-grandfather. She was super excited in sixth grade that he was there, but he has steadfastly stayed in her comments. Now 17-year-old Elle, every time she posts a feeling cute or slightly sassy picture on Instagram, he is right there in the comments with things like, I remember changing your diaper, or pretty like your mama, and it kills her every time. But there are worse things in the world than having a bunch of pseudo-grandfathers making you think twice about what you put on Instagram. So gentleness, strength under control. How do we apply that to our lives today? Well, to answer that, I have some questions for you about your gentleness. At this church, we focus a lot on Jesus' central teaching to love God, neighbor, and self. So how gentle are you with God, neighbor, and self? Let's start with God. Are you gentle with God, or do you try to strong-arm things? 
Do you trust that God is at work in the world and in your specific story? I know I don't always, because that kind of trust requires cultivating a spiritual fruit that I find hard sometimes, the cultivation of joy. Joy, remember, is that choice to look for God at work in the world amidst its mess. When I'm not cultivating joy, my prayers are filled with petitions. Here's what I want, God. Here's my will for this situation, God. Do you think that sounds like being gentle to God? If we think about the construct of God as a parent and human as God and humans as God's children, well that would be like if one of our kids only ever came to us asking for things, never with any appreciation for all the ways that we are supporting them across their lives. And what does Paul say here? He says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. When I cultivate a joy-filled lens, my prayers include two things beyond petitions, because let's be real, they still do involve petitions, but they also include more praise and more questions. And both praise and questions help me discern God's will in my life. And when I can sense God's will for my life, I'm at more peace. And I really don't try to force my way or my will. What about your neighbors? Are you gentle with your neighbors? Let's go back to that line from Paul to the Philippians. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What's Paul trying to say when he says, the Lord is near? Is he saying, God's watching? He's right behind you, checking up on you. Does it mean act right or else God's going to use God's power on you? No, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, you have the Lord's strength right here, real close within you. So be gentle and use it for good. One of the lines that my dad raised us with, you could call it one of his sort of parenting ethos lines, was, Always be strong enough that you can always choose to be gentle. Our end goal as followers of Jesus is not the accumulation of power or use of force. Our end goal is to live, as Jesus did, with radical grace, with ridiculous gentleness, and by being examples of leading with love and not by force of will. But being gentle with our neighbors really starts with what is the hardest part of this fruit for me being gentle with yourself. Are you gentle with yourself? Because if you've not learned to be gentle with yourself, then there's no way that you're consistently gentle with others. Do you set impossible standards for yourself? Does anything on this list sound familiar? Gotta be up by 6 a.m. every weekend. Gotta work out every day. Need to be first in my class. Gotta be five pounds thinner. I'm never gonna lose patience with my kids. When we hold ourselves to impossible standards, we often pass those not-so-gentle expectations onto others in our lives. And look, I know, most of us have taken on impossible standards from ourselves or from others at one point or another in our lives. So how do we stop and set them down? Because it doesn't often look or feel real gentle when we stop and reject or set them down. But gentleness, that not forcing something on yourself, it's truly powerful. It creates space for your true self to survive and grow and thrive and consent to how you want to use your strength in the world. 
And when we do that for ourselves, we are so much more likely to do it for others in our lives. The opposite of being gentle with yourself is being your own worst enemy. Does that sound familiar? Has anyone ever told you you're your own worst enemy? Well, then this gentleness with self might be really worthy homework. And here's the part in the sermon where I admit I'm Nicole and I am a recovering perfectionist. I grew up with a really loud inner critic. And one practical suggestion for those of us here who have loud inner critics from time to time came from my favorite therapist. It's a little corny. It's to carry around a photograph of your child self. Here's mine. And I know it's a little corny, but every time I start to speak to myself harshly or impose an impossible standard on myself, I'm to take that picture out and try to say or demand those same things to that little face. And it's true. I speak a lot more kindly to that little face. So when I'm tempted to take a path of forcing impossible standards on myself, I take it out and I imagine how that action would feel to that child. And usually it feels like a gross misuse of strength, a gross misuse of force. Looking at that little face reminds me that I am a child of God, a child of a gentle God, a God who calls us to bear this fruit of gentleness, the gift of controlling our strength for good. So let's go out and work at controlling our strength for good. Let's use gentleness to get some good work done for ourselves, for those around us, and for our God. Won't you pray with me? Gentle God, hound of heaven, help us to bear this gentle fruit. Help us to choose joy amidst life's mess. And as we decide how to treat ourselves and all those in our lives, Help us to know that there is not a soul that we will meet that is not loved gently and completely by you. Thank you for being our strong and soft place for us to land. Amen. This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.